gender equality, clean energy, economic growth, and no poverty. These are a few of the 17 sustainable development goals the United Nations is working to accomplish by the year 2030. Fordham University is also using them to help move the leaders of tomorrow towards social equitability. Good morning, I'm Robin Shannon, and this is Fordham Conversations. Today, I'm joined by four members of the Fordham University community who are part of the Gabelli School of Business. They recently took part in a forum on ways that everyday people can help achieve these SDGs goals. Let's go around and have everyone introduce themselves. We want to start with Patrick. Yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm Patrick. Uh, and your last name, Patrick? Patrick Struby. Mm -hmm. And your uh, title? I am the founder and CEO of, of uh, Fertrasa, what is a social enterprise with the purpose of lifting small-scale farmers out of poverty. And it's an organization I started already 14 years ago back in Mexico, where I saw that there is a lot of poverty with small-scale farmers that basically sell products to local markets at very low prices and live in poverty. And I was looking at how can we find a solution to, to solve that poverty issue. And then what I de developed over the following years was an organization that helped certify them with organic and fair trade and linking them with the international market. And by doing so, we, we created opportunities for them that they did not have uh, before. And I'm super excited about replicating that model across the globe so that we can uh, achieve food security and uh, eliminate poverty. Okay, and Lerzan? Uh, Lerzan Aksoy. Uh, I am the Associate Dean of the Undergraduate Program um, and Strategic Initiatives here at the Gabelli School at Fordham University. And I'm also a faculty member in marketing. So I get the pleasure of engaging with our students here. And joining me by phone are Jerry and Catherine. Jerry, you want to tell me about yourself? My name is Jerry White, and I'm a Gabelli Fellow at Fordham. I'm excited to be working on socially transformative business curriculum and, and job placement and creation. And I also teach a class at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville on religion, violence, and strategy. And Catherine? I'm Catherine Milligan. I'm the head of gender and diversity at Bamboo Capital Partners, and I'm also an adjunct professor of social entrepreneurship at the Graduate Institute in Switzerland. All right. Thank you all for joining me today. I want to start with some background information. So how did the UN come up with the list of sustainable development goals? This is Patrick. So, yeah, the United Nations, they started back in the year 2000 with uh, the what was called at that time the Million, Millennium Development Goals. This was when uh, 193 countries came together. And for the first time, they started to define what are the world's most pressing problems. These Millennium Development Goals were valid for 15 years until 2015, and then they re reviewed what was the success and what is needed to increase the impact. And then in 2015, they developed the Sustainable Development Goals that are now valid until 2030, that uh, are now 17 goals to address the world's most pressing problems. And why the year 2030? Why is that the deadline to reach these goals? because they set a 15-year time frame, that they say 15 years is a time frame where, they can, where it's possible to achieve tangible impacts. And the first, uh, uh, the first 15 years was from 2000 to 2015, and now 
we are in year four and we have 11 years to go to reach uh, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And to talk a little about those pre-goals, um, the Sustainable Development Goals were created as a replacement for what's called the Millennial Development Goals or MDGs. And those eight goals were put out by the United Nations in 2000, as you said, Patrick, and focused on more reducing extreme poverty. So you, do you know how close we got to accomplishing the MDG goals and whether we fell short? So when we look at the result, there were it was mixed. It was really sort of a mixed bag, but it was the first time that that was done. And some of the goals were were barely achieved. Some were 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 better achieved. And so at the learning out of that process then is that the the United Nations developed seventeen with more detailed standards and uh, and and more focus to reach those uh, 17 goals. And maybe what is important also to mention is the Sustainable Development Goals. It's really a call to action. And the call to action, not just for governments or big organizations, but really for everybody. So it's really a call to action for you and me. So did some of these eight goals that they didn't reach, did they get folded over into the uh, new 17 sustainable development goals the United Nations is working on? Yes, absolutely. So they're all, all, this, all the eight are still present, but then they added uh, another nine. How did Fordham University get involved with helping achieve these goals? Well, we do that in a few different ways. Um, and the first one is to include the UN SDGs in our curriculum. So our undergraduate students learn about the UN SDGs uh, right off the bat, their freshman year, first semester, and even before they arrive on campus. And during the ground floor class, which is our introduction to business class, they actually have to uh, develop a business plan to solve and address one of those sustainable development goal challenges. And so that's how we start off their experience here at the Gabelli School. The other way we got involved was to host this event that happened just a few weeks ago, uh, the UN SDG Forum. And we invited students, alumni, uh, business people, policymakers to come in and discuss how much progress we have made towards that goal and also how each and every one of us, as Patrick said, can be involved in furthering uh, those goals. So it was, uh, it was a great day. Lazan, out of the 17 goals, uh, did any one in particular, any few in particular, stand out with which Fordham University decided to focus on or the students decided to focus on? Uh, so all of them are very relevant to our student body, but the ones that they seem to be most attracted to um, are about education, are about inequality, uh, and also about how to improve um, consumption and production sustainability within organizations, uh, and as well as poverty, I would say. And climate change. And climate and change, climate definitely, change. yes. This is Jerry here. I thought it was very interesting when we had some recent studies globally on awareness about the Sustainable Development Goals. And awareness, you know, it's very concerning that it's very low. But the top three issues that seemed to come up um, in surveys of hundreds of people around the world were the environment and climate action, health and health care, and education. So of the 16, those seemed to be rising to the top, and there was different priorities put on each one depending on the geography or the GDP in which you lived. So it was interesting, I think, getting back to what Patrick said, um, we're sort of agnostic about which SDG you use as a portal or a topic or an issue to enter into your transformational business or leadership. 
So it's a call to action for everyone. So one of the exciting things we're doing at Fordham and at the panel last month was inviting each and every individual to ask themselves the question, which do they care about most? And these are huge topics like climate action, education, healthcare. But what piece of that action are they interested in or how does it drill down to their home, their community, or their workplace, or their entrepreneurship? And so we made it much more individual. How can you, as an individual or a student at Fordham, or even faculty, step in and contribute to one, at least one, if not all of the SDGs. Now, both Catherine, Jerry, and Patrick, you each took part in the panels recently held at the Gabelli School of Business. Um, So let's start uh, with Jerry and Patrick. Uh, You were facilitators of your panel. So what was your panel's focus? So this is Jerry. We started with um, just this premise of what does it mean to be a social entrepreneur, and both Patrick and I are Ashoka Fellows and have worked globally and creatively for social impact at a certain scale. So first, it's sort of sharing, like, inspiring stories of social entrepreneurs, and including our own background. I myself had shared in the Nobel Peace Prize awarded to the International Campaign to Ban Landmines. So you're talking about things that resulted in treaties and world-changing events saving millions of lives. So first, it's sort of establishing a little baseline that there's some big stories of social entrepreneurship that we represent, but we wanted to actually drill it down and actually put it into people's hands and say, why did we make that? Why did we achieve such large things? And largely it was because we were values-driven. We weren't just um, creative. It was actually, what are you doing with higher purpose in action for the good of the planet and its people? So it's really um, this, this question of calling, of your vocation in service to the planet of its people, was one of the starting points for the discussion. Patrick, maybe you want to build on that? Yeah, and, uh, you know, and also we sort of explained what does it mean, you know, to be a social entrepreneur. You know, I mean, everybody understands what is an entrepreneur, but what is that social entrepreneur? And what it really is is that we want to use business, not just to make money, but really addressing uh, the world's most pressing problem. And uh, in this case, you know, specifically the, the, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And, uh, and we were also talking about what does that mean, you know, in terms of um, the mindset and the skill set. And not just that these are these huge topics out there, you know, that, that, that you know, sort of we feel disempowered to do something about it. But yes, actually, you know, Jerry and I, we demonstrated how we address that, you know, what was that innovation that we developed that really impacts thousands and millions of lives and that what we can do, everybody can do. All the, all the participants in the, in, the, in, the, in the session, you know, how, how do we bring that down, that everybody can be a change maker? It was really about that. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. Today I'm joined by four members of the Fordham University community who are part of the Gabelli School of Business. Lerzan Aksoy, Patrick Strobe, Jerry White, and Catherine Milligan were part of Fordham's forum that looked at ways everyday people can help achieve the sustainable development goals the United Nations is working to accomplish by the year 2030. Catherine, you moderated a panel at Fordham. So who was on it and what was, were the topics of discussion? Thank you for your question. Um, it, it was a fascinating discussion. We really started with the premise um, with three social entrepreneurs. So Kyle Zimmer first spoke, Roseanne Haggerty of um, Community Solutions uh, and David Mickelson of uh, Refute Night. 
each working in very different sort of problem spaces or on very different issues. So on um, educational equity, on homelessness, and on the refugee um, situation, respectively. But each entrepreneur, founder and entrepreneur, was really talking about their own personal leadership journeys. So what have been the highs and lows for them along the way? How have they managed their own personal resilience Um you know, sort of in the face of these extraordinary challenges, um, how they evolved their, you know, sort of their organization, their model, the way that they engage with their team and external partners. Uh, and we also spoke quite a bit about technology. So the premise of that session was really to set the stage not only in talking about, you know, sort of the glamorous bits that people typically associate with, um, with social entrepreneurship and with sort of social change uh, careers, uh, but really actually also to talk about, you know, sort of ourselves as leaders uh, and how can we be the most effective change agents possible. Catherine, does any one person's journey stand out for you about what their highs and lows were that you can share with us? I personally was really inspired by the interactive workshop that Jerry and Patrick led because they were so candid about their own stories. And, you know, Patrick sharing his successful corporate career uh, and one day just, you know, kind of really waking up and realizing that this is the path that he no longer wanted to be on. This is what Jerry referred to, you know, as a vocation, this calling, um, that it's not it's it's not about what your parents, you know, expected of you. It's not about what, you know, sort of society wants from you. I think we all feel those those pulls and those pressures and those expectations is really about, you know, who you are and who you want to be in the world. Patrick, Jerry, can you share the story that Catherine is talking about? Well, in my case, I was their age. I was 20 years old when, as a student at Brown University, I went to study in the Holy Land and went camping and hiking with two American friends. And I suddenly step on a landmine. And this is in 1984. I had no idea what a landmine was, but I suddenly saw what it did. It blew off my lower right leg, and I spent six months in a hospital in Israel. So that's one of those U-turns where where life does it to you. It it wakes you up, because I didn't know what landmines were, and then I thought I was a unique case. It turns out, over the years, I found out that landmines were a humanitarian scourge on the planet. There like 60 to 80 million landmines buried in over 60 to 80 countries, let's say. And the mindset, to, to Patrick's word earlier that we were working on at Fordham, what's the mindset about landmines? Well, it used to be landmines are needed for security. They protect civilians. But then you look at the facts, and you see that 80% of the victims are actually civilians. So they aren't protecting civilians. They don't even know the difference between a soldier and a civilian or whether the war is over yet. So my landmine waited in that old minefield for like 19 years dormant until I stepped on it. So the mindset shift was like landmines you know, from landmines protect civilians and help security to actually landmines hurt mostly civilians and don't advance security. But you have to have an aha moment. So on one hand, as you say, change is very difficult. On the other hand, it can happen in an instant by a mindset shift and then saying, leading with your values. It's not right that children get blown up by landmines. It's not right that military litter is left to the ground for decades after wars are over. Like, how do we actually promote safety and protection that's real and grounded, so to speak, in the land. So we end up working on change that change laws and policies in Israel, not only the world, the international campaign to ban landmines and the mine ban treaty, in a specific country like Israel that felt under siege during Arab Spring. 
What would it mean if they demined all their non-operational minefields, even along their borders, during a time of tension, because they realized that these landmines were not buying them security? So that's what we end up doing in past laws and policies that was a real shift and change in Israel um, to demine their non-operational minefields and do it to a the humanitarian standard, which means you're 99.8% sure that there are no mines left in this area that has been demined by humanitarians. So it's, just, you know, it's a personal story that becomes a professional and policy story, but I would try to break it down that it's not so special. Like a little kid worked on this, 11-year-old who was injured by a landmine in the Golan Heights. He became one of the youth ambassadors. So I do think that um, you can have an aha moment see that something's wrong, and true leadership for these students at Fordham, or for anyone, even our political leaders, to me means you listen deeply and learn deeply, and you speak and communicate responsibly of what is right and good, and then you shift disempowering conversations or patterns and policies that are hurting the masses. So I think it, teaching transformational le- leadership to business students is imperative, and Fordham is leading the way. And during the panel, did you see uh, anyone at Fordham? Because that's a very powerful story. Um, I, I guess like this would be for you, Lazan. How did the students react hearing these stories? It was amazing. Um, it was after the event, and also um, we gathered some extensive feedback through surveys and just personal anecdotes and things like that. But um, the students were so inspired. Um and that was really the whole point of this event and inviting our students there and exposing them to these amazing individuals of, and to help them understand that um, regardless of what career track they choose and regardless of what their vocation is going to be, they too have the ability and the responsibility to go into these careers and create the changes within the organizations that they're at. And we call that uh, social intrapreneurship. So it's not just about creating an organization from scratch, but that each and every one of them can go into these organizations and create change from within and lead with their values. Uh, and that really was, um, was uh, I think, a, a goal that was accomplished, I would say, just from the reactions of the students. They felt very inspired and empowered. And maybe just to add on this, I think what made it so tangible and uh, and inspiring is really that you know we all are social entrepreneur, you know, and and when you when you bring that message across that you live through that, as Jerry Jerry shared, or in my case, you know, I was um, I was in the corporate world, I was making a lot of money, I was working for one of the largest corporate uh, trading companies. And then one day I had this epiphany and I realized, actually, I'm making the rich richer and the poor poor. And that epiphany changed my life completely. Well, how did you get to that epiphany? Uh, I worked for that big corporate company that had mines and I was in one of the mines. Now, normally when I was traveling and doing mergers and acquisition, you know, you fly to a country, you go to a business room, you go to a hotel and then you fly out again. So you're in a country, but actually you're not because they all look the same. The Hiltons and the Marriott's and they all look the same. But then in this one occasion, they took me to the mine you know, high up on 15,000 feet and they said, look, we want to show you where we have the highest ore content. And so I was like putting on this overall and going into the Andes. It was in Peru, into the Andes, down into the belly of the 
of the mountain and it was terrible you know it's mm. not a good place to be if you're sort of claustrophobic and then i saw how these miners lived under what condition and and how difficult it was at the same time the the company was making this reorganization and many of these miners lost their job and i remember it was 3 a.m in the morning i was in lima in my hotel and then i, I realized i'm making the rich rich and the poor poor and this epiphany then caused me to give up my job and um uh, and changed my life completely, you know? So I went back, I'm from Switzerland originally, I went back to Switzerland, quit the job, and I said, I wanna reconsider what to do with my life. And then I, uh, my dad did not like that, you know? I was in my late 20s and he, he saw sort of, you know, you have this great job, why would you give a job away that everybody envies <laughs> right. you? <laughs> You're making and, money, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and so I, and then this is because I just realized I need, I need to go away. I, I, I bought this one-way ticket and went to Mexico to reconsider what to do with life and then when I was in Mexico I realized I really like international trading but it needs to be fair trading and this was back in 2005 a long time ago when the fair trade movement started very slowly and this is when I started to develop my organization that now today is helping thousands of farmers and now we have a model where we want to lift a million farmers out of poverty and it's incredibly exciting and it's incredibly fulfilling and what is really important for me and this is also why I'm here at Cabelli is you know I, w I had this epiphany you know, because I was somewhere stuck in a mine in Peru. This is what caused my transformation. Now the question is, what needs to happen to a student that they can have the same transformation when they enter their, the university at 18 in their freshman year? And that's precisely what we do. You know, we look here in our ground floor uh, course that Lurson mentioned, what is it that we need to teach the students? that at the first day when they come into our class, they get the DNA, that they, everybody can be a change maker. And that's exciting, and I consider this as a responsibility as a social entrepreneur, not just through the work I do with my projects, but really spreading that message. And being an entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur, it really resonates, because everything I'm saying is what I lift with every cell of my body. Patrick, can you describe how the miners lived? I mean, it affected you profoundly, so how were they living? So, I, you know, this was on 15,000 feet above sea level they were living in these containers these 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 air sea containers and uh, uh, and and they were away from their families they were working in shifts for like three weeks so was the container like the size of maybe 40 uh, foot, you know it's like these 40 foot sea oh, containers you know oh, and wow. they put bunk beds in there you know yeah. and it was freezing cold and i just said and i was sort of wow these are like my age and and what, under what hardship, hardship are they living and they're trying to make a living and 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 I really just it was like as I said you know it was my late 20s and for the very first time I got confronted with a reality very different than what I lived in Switzerland you know and this was the moment when I said I mean if I, whatever I can do to create opportunities for those who did not have the same opportunities I had or we all have here, you know, because I could have been born in the middle of nowhere where I never could go to school, you know, but I happened to be born in that place and I, I do have all these uh, opportunities and I consider it as a responsibility to do whatever I can, you know, to provide opportunities for those who were not as lucky as we were. Now, changing individual mindsets um, is one goal, but uh, when we're looking at a business or an organization, in what way can businesses impact or contribute to the SDG goals? How do you see that happening? I mean, we, as, we, as we said earlier, you know, the SDGs is a call to action mm -hmm. for everybody. And it needs to be a, a key responsibility for big corporate organizations. And you can see already today, you know, there's so much 
change in consumer behavior. And, you know, millennials do not buy anything that sort of, you know, would do harm to the environment. So companies need to reconsider. Companies who keep ver keep working, producing, polluting, wasting the way they've been doing in the past will not survive if they don't change. And this is the change in mindset that needs to happen on the CC level. Because initially wasn't the mindset if it makes money, it's okay. That's, like yeah. that's the bottom of the bottom line of it all. That was the bottom line of it all. And that's changing. Now we go from this bottom line to the triple bottom line. But, and if but you also, if you look at Jerry, it's Jerry here. If you look at Fordham's history, you said they're celebrating 100 years next year. And so you're thinking, what's the advantage of Fordham, not only being in New York and working on sustainable development goals, but they've had a competitive advantage with the Jesuit ethos. So it was never just about making money for money's sake or pure capitalism. It also was about leading with your values. What is compassionate business, equitable business, and prosperity truly look like for the world's next leaders or rising leaders and business graduates. So I think that leading with the values and the DNA that's already built into Fordham gives it a, compa uh, a compassionate and competitive advantage. Well, for those of us who are trying to, to, to see it, can you give me some tangible examples of how corporations can take corporate action? I mean, some of it is like simple. Let's say you're an employee, you're graduating, you're working for some big firm, and you realize that everyone's still just using plastic left and right and rather wasteful. It might be a small shift, but that makes you a social entrepreneur or change agent, or as Lerzon said, a social intrapreneur. You're in the system, you see huge waste in your company, and then you're saying, well, I just have a little campaign to get rid of plastics here, let alone straws. There's maybe small acts of kindness to the planet, but they actually cause like fractal shifts and proliferate the pattern inside a particular company. You have a culture change inside companies when individuals stand up with their courage and stand for their values. Just to add to that, um, this is Lerzan. Gabelli School is also home to the American Innovation Index. And part of that innovation index is social innovation. And we measure on an, as a national barometer what perceptions of customers are when it comes to these different brands and companies that are out there. And the number one company in social innovation is John Deere. Now, that's probably surprising to a lot of people. It was certainly to me. But the things that they do, it's really ingrained in their DNA as a company. Um, so what whenever, do they do? whenever they do any research and development, they always think about the farmer and what's going to be in the best interest of the farmer and really view them as con conservationists. And the like, for example, they have this um, uh, this technology that is sort of like facial recognition for weeds. <laughs> so when you're actually in the in the fields, that technology actually helps you uh, spray um, your plants and that are weeds versus not spray the ones that are not weeds. So it's sort of like recognizing. So that technology is good for the planet. It's good for the for the customer, and it basically you know preserves the environment and helps the climate. So that's just a very small example of how you can bring together innovation, social innovation. So it's not just about these. Uh, uh, corporate social responsibility programs that are more based on, you know, small scale uh, marketing, but rather it's not about just volunteering um, in their communities. I mean, that's all great. But at the same time, you know, how can you 
create this in uh, as a change within the organization that impacts the whole supply chain. It impacts the employees and their well-being and also ends up being best for the customers. So it's uh, as the Business Roundtable just put out um, the new statement of a corporation, they said, uh, and this was actually signed by almost 200 CEOs of the largest companies in the world. And basically they said that the purpose of a corporation should not be only to make profit and to maximize shareholder value. You need to care about all your stakeholders. You need to care about your communities. You, care, you need to care about your society. You need to care about your employees and your customers. So to the point that Patrick made, I think there's this shift that's happening in the mindsets of these really large companies in the world. And I think it's really a great time for us to be training the leaders of tomorrow uh, with these mindsets. Jerry, did you want to add something? No, I just would say amen. You see, you can see so many examples around the world at a more macro level with corporations, also in policy and statements. But it's just just facing the facts. You know, if you look at the sustainable development goals, and you see how complex and volatile and uncertain our future is looking. We must train new transformers or leaders who are comfortable managing change across sectors, not just in a business, but also in government and also in the social or NGO sector, non-governmental sector, and also in academia. So it really applies to all of us. And what's exciting about the SDGs, the development goals, is that it was done by over 190 countries in concert with civil society and citizens, as well as corporate leaders and subject matter experts. So it represents a global treaty, so to speak, a global consensus that these are our collective priorities. Lerzon, are we going to have another UN SDG forum coming up? Great question, Robin. (laughs) We actually talked about this, and uh, yes, we will. So next uh, year, 2020, September 18th, we actually even have a date. Uh, so, yes, we will definitely have one next year. And I'll have to have everybody back on again. <laughs> well, thank you. I want to thank everybody for uh, joining me on Fordham Conversations. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. Lerzon Axoy, Patrick Strobe, Jerry White, and Catherine Milligan were part of Fordham's forum that looked at ways everyday people can help achieve the sustainable development goals the United Nations is working to accomplish by the year 2030. You can like Fordham Conversations on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and catch up on shows you've missed with our weekly podcast. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.